Ecclesiastes 11.8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, Good evening, everybody. I want to welcome you to Good News Church in this uh, wonderful humidity. And... uh, You know, we're going to finish off our series in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I do hope it has been profitable for many of you. Uh, This has been a very challenging book in in a variety of ways, and uh, this is also another challenging passage. So before we go into this passage, I'm going to ask, let's uh, let's pray together, and let's pray that the Lord would uh, be our ultimate uh, preacher today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is a Holy Spirit that bears clarity upon uh, the Bible, and we ask that as we go through this, uh, the, the final ending of the book of Ecclesiastes, that you would uh, continue to impress the truths that we have been learning through this book upon our hearts, continue to change and transform us, continue to remind us of your grace and of uh, the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So, finally, the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we started by framing this series as a search. And we have this person called the preacher, and he has been on a quest, and he is looking for something of great significance and meaning. And uh, the reason this probably could have been a very depressing book is because it seems like the conclusion of the preacher is this. Everything is vanity. 
everything is meaningless. And I've uh, tried to give you this illustration of how we should view maybe what he's doing as kind of uh, somebody taking a needle and popping the balloon uh, of a kid. And uh, I think that's kind of what this preacher is doing for many of us. So he takes different topics, topics like wealth, and he pops that balloon. Topics like toil and work, and he pops that balloon. Topics like pleasure and sex and justice, and he pops that balloon, and he says, I've searched these things out, and my conclusion is vanity, vanity, because the reality of this life is that this life ends. There's death, and because of death, everything is meaningless. Now, I think when it comes to the Bible, uh, I often hear people describe certain stories of the Bible and they say, you know, this, this story would probably make a good movie, right? And that's why there are stories in the Bible that have been made into movies. Uh, we look at different stories and we say, there's so much drama, there's so much violence, there's so much sex. This would be something that uh, Hollywood love to gravitate towards and make a big movie out of this. But you know, when I look at the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, I think the kind of movie that Ecclesiastes is, it's... It's more like an independent film, right? It's not one of those big-budget, exciting movies. But it's an independent film in which it probably doesn't appeal widely to everybody. Maybe it's a little bit too gritty, a little bit too honest, a little bit too authentic. But today, we're going to finally get to the final scene in this independent film. And uh, we're going to also get a peek into the, uh, the epilogue, which we might call, maybe it's the director's commentary uh, after all of this, after watching this film. And, uh, you know, this, is, uh, this sermon series has been interesting because, uh, you know, I actually got some, you know, a little bit of feedback on this series. And uh, I think some of you maybe got a lot, lot out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And maybe this is something that really struck a chord with some of you. And I think, actually, as I reflect upon this passage, the reason why maybe it struck a chord with uh, some people in this congregation is because this is probably a book that's directed to younger people. If you think about it, uh, older people have already experienced many of the things that this preacher is saying. And maybe older people have already arrived at some of the conclusions that this preacher is giving, and they're saying, yeah, of course, I, I know that already. I've experienced that. You see, younger people uh, still think things like money and success and pleasure is going to lead to a fulfilled life, which is why maybe younger people spend so much of their time on this quest or this search for fulfillment in these things. Moreover, people, I think, who are closer uh, who are older, are closer to death, and are always thinking about their own mortality. And you can kind of tell this by the topic of conversation. Uh, what do people in their 20s and 30s talk about? Even people in their 40s and 50s, what do they talk about? Talk about things like their career, things like dating, things like marriage, things like kids, things like school, things like travel. But you know, uh, do you know what my parents talk about when they're gathering in the midst of their friends or other people? They talk about their health, right? They, they talk about their health issues, what hurts. They talk about uh, their struggles with health insurance issues. Uh, they talk about effective medications and the side effects to these medications. They talk about their experience with certain doctors. And they talk about other friends who are getting sick and having health issues, right? Everything revolves around health. And uh, I think the reason for that is you don't have to remind them that uh, they're getting old. You don't have to remind them of the reality of death because it's probably something that they know and something that they're thinking about. But for people who are younger, uh, we don't think about our own mortality as frequently. 
Now, I just watched this movie on HBO uh, called The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. Pleasantly surprised. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty entertaining. And uh, the premise of this movie is basically uh, this older, retired gentleman played by Robert De Niro. He, uh, he's hired as an intern of this like, young tech company that's uh, this online store that sells clothing uh, to people. And as he's being interviewed for this internship, uh, you see kind of the, the um, I guess, the, the parody. And this really young kid, maybe in his like early 20s, is interviewing Robert De Niro and asking him this question. And he asks him this question. He says, so this is a very important question. This, this question helps us tell a lot about the people we hire. What do you see yourself doing in 10 years, right, 10 years from now? And uh, Robert De Niro goes, you mean when I'm 80 years old? And all of a sudden, there's this awkward realization that from this young interviewer that maybe that's not the appropriate question to ask a 70-year-old man. But that scene, I think, perfectly describes the difference between somebody who is younger and somebody who is older because a younger person is going to assume, hey, yeah, I have 10 more years left. I have 20 more years left. I have maybe even 30 more years left, whereas an older person, uh, they have no idea if they're going to be around in the next 10 years. And so there is this constant refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes and this refrain of bringing up the reality of death because it's something that younger people need to understand. It's coming. So we embark on this final scene, and the preacher, he addresses the topic of youth. And he basically says this, Enjoy your youth, because one day you will not be young anymore. Enjoy your youth, because one day there will be many days of darkness. But as long as you're young, make sure that you enjoy it. If you look at the imagery in uh, verses 2 to 6 in chapter 11, look at it. There will be times of darkness. Strong men are bent. Sight is dimmed. Doors are shut. There will be mourners on the street, and so forth. And uh, maybe as we were reading through it uh, the first time, we were kind of thinking, what exactly does that mean? Uh, but this one commentator says, you know, all of this imagery kind of uh, reminds you of a funeral. And this imagery is, again, supposed to be a reminder that, a visual reminder that, yes, you may be young today, but eventually darker days are, he- are ahead. Old age will come, and eventually death will come to us all. So if you feel young, if you feel good, if you feel healthy, make sure you enjoy it because it won't last. Now, that's not new advice. I think people are always saying that you're only young once and therefore you should enjoy your life while you're young. But I think what's different about our world uh, from the ancient world is this, that we are not simply trying to enjoy our youth, but I actually think we are trying to extend our youth as much as possible. And you see this in a variety of ways. Uh, You see this with the popularity of anti-aging products, uh, things to maybe dye our hair or cover our balding. Uh, You see this in plastic surgery to cover, again, the fact that we're getting old and we're aging. You see this maybe in values of we begin to value things that are hip and trendy and fun over being wise and mature and responsible. We say things like, you know, 30s are the new 20s. And then once we hit our 30s, we say things like 40s are the new 30s. And I think at least part of the reason for the midlife crisis or part of what we try to do when we experience a midlife crisis is we're trying to 
return to our youth. We're trying to capture our youth and revert back to our youth. And you see, uh, I think that's kind of where uh, our culture is. We want to not only enjoy youth, but we want to make sure youth will last as much as it can last. And I wonder if maybe this is also some of the reasons why people are delaying things like getting married and having children, uh, because people say, well, that's, that's adulthood, and I kind of want to enjoy my life now. I, I don't want to be uh, burdened with all of this responsibility. So let me put that off until later. And the preacher says this, enjoy your youth while you can, because old age is coming. And I think what we need to realize is uh, no matter how hard we try to extend and make our youth last, doesn't matter, because old age is relentless. Death is relentless. Now, the preacher, he also gives some important qualifications in his advice about enjoying your youth. In 11.9, he says, But know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. And in 12.1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And I really had to think about what these verses meant. And these verses gave me a little bit of trouble because when I first read it, I thought it meant something like this. Uh, When you're young, remember that there are consequences to your actions. Uh, When you're young, remember that God is real and God is going to one day judge you for all the things that you have done in your youth. And I think certainly that's true theologically, but uh, I'm not sure if that's what he is quite getting at here. Uh, It doesn't seem to quite fit, uh, at least to me, in terms of his more cynical and negative attitude in these final words. And, uh, you know, I was reading this one commentary, and, you know, I I think it was pretty convincing. And basically what this guy says is, you know, when God, or when the preacher is talking about God will bring you into judgment, he's actually talking about uh, old age and death as being the expression of, of God's judgment, which is very consistent with the pattern of what happens in the Garden of Eden. And he says this, you know, when when uh, the preacher is saying, remember the Creator from your youth, uh, it's not supposed to have a calming effect, but it's supposed to actually make us a little bit uneasy because it's another reminder that from dust we came until to dust we shall one day return. And that's what you see in verse 7. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And because the preacher concludes his passage and his search with the very words that he says in the beginning of this book, right, death is real, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's how it ends. (laughs) What a depressing independent film, right? But at the same time, it's reality. Uh, If you've ever seen your grandparents get old, maybe some of our parents are getting old, it's a very painful thing to experience and a very painful thing to see. You know, my grandfather died at a relatively young age. He was in his 50s. And uh, my only memory of him uh, when I was young, you know, he, he suffered a, a stroke. So my only memory of him was uh, somebody who couldn't really walk around, somebody who couldn't say or speak uh, distinguishable words, and somebody who had to be uh, fed all the time uh, by my grandmother and by uh, his kids. My grandmother died a few years ago, and for her, at least I remember her when she was, you know, pretty lively and uh, cogent, but at the end of her life, she had uh, late-stage dementia, and that also is a very horrible disease and a violent death, and getting old is just not a pleasant experience. This weekend, Muhammad Ali just died, 
And you look at the contrast between who he was when he was young, this strong fighter, full of life and full of energy. And you compare and contrast him to who he was at the end of his life, battling Parkinson's disease, uh, not quite with the youthful vigor that he once had. And all of these things, again, are a reminder of uh, not just what happens to other people, but what's eventually going to happen to all of us. All is vanity. All is vanity because of the reality of death. The end. <laughs> right? That's how the film ends. Think about it. The credits begin to roll. And what song do you hear? You hear John Mayer's song about getting old, Stop This Train. And you hear these lyrics. Don't know how else to say it. I don't want to see my parents go. One generation's length away from fighting life out on my own. Stop this train. I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed. It's moving in. I know I can't. But honestly, won't someone stop this train? So scared of getting older, I'm only good at being young. So I play the numbers game to find a way to say that life has just begun. Stop this train. I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed. It's moving in. I know I can't, but honestly, won't someone stop this train? You know, the train he's talking about is a train of time moving on and us getting older. And he says, you know, I know I can't stop this train. Won't somebody stop it? I think the song captures exactly what this preacher is getting at here. One day we're young, but time is a moving. And this is a train that we can't get off. And the further that this train moves, and the closer that it reaches its final destination, which is death, uh, the harder, the more sad things get. Now that's the end of the preacher's movie here, but that's not actually the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, in the first sermon of this series, uh, I said that there was another voice, and this voice returns here at the end of the book. And you can tell it's another voice because starting in verse 9, it talks about the preacher in the third person. And this outside voice says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. And I think what this narrator's voice uh, does is it kind of gives us a little bit of commentary, a little bit of epilogue to this entire movie that this preacher has been uh, saying. First thing he does is he gives us an illustration that describes how he understands the words of the preacher in verse 11. And he says this, the words of the wise are like goats and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Now some of you may be thinking, what is a goad exactly? Uh, a goad is this like spiked stick that shepherds would use to direct their sheep. And so if you think about it, what is a shepherd going to do? They're going to prod their sheep a little bit to make sure that they're going in the right direction. And if you think about it from the perspective of the sheep, uh, it's probably really annoying, maybe even sometimes painful to be prodded by this sharp stick. But it's important and it's, necess it's necessary in order to be directed into the right direction. And maybe that's actually a perfect descriptor of the preacher's words here. Right? We found them pretty annoying, maybe at times painful, but maybe even necessary. Second thing he says this is in verse 12 My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
I think what he's saying here is this. You know, the search is not necessarily a bad thing. But here's the thing. You can spend the rest of your life on this quest and on this search without ever really arriving at a firm conclusion. And that, I think, is actually how so many people in our world, in our culture, in our circles approach life. These days, uh, you know, it's very common to hear people describe life as a journey. Right? Life is like just one of those endless journeys, and uh, you're just always in the process. And because you're always on this journey, you're always making observations along this journey. But a journey to where? What's the end? Where is the conclusion? And the narrator says, beware of that. Beware of being on this endless search. But know the conclusion. And the conclusion he gives is this, starting at verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Boom, and he drops the mic, right? That's it. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, for some of us, we hear this conclusion, and maybe we think, that conclusion, where did that come from? That kind of seems to come out of nowhere, right? But I think there's also a context here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to exactly reconstruct what's going on historically. Uh, but let me just throw some, some ideas out. You know, some people think perhaps that Ecclesiastes was written to a context or a people uh, after the exile. It was written to Israel after the exile. And so what that means is that it was written to Israel or a people uh, after which they, they saw their kingdom divided, they saw their kingdom conquered, uh, foreign rulers and foreign powers now came in, and maybe there's this great temptation to just forsake their ancient uh, faith and just assimilate into the wider culture. Maybe there's this greater temptation to say, well, maybe there's something out there in these foreign, uh, foreign nations that I haven't explored. And maybe the things that I've been growing up learning about fearing God and about his commandments and about the law and things of that sort, maybe there's more, right? You know, basically, I think he's saying this. You know, you may embark on this search for significance and everything under the sun, but learn from this preacher, Learn that at the end of the day, everything is vanity. And remember, maybe the conclusion that you actually need to hear is one that you grew up learning and listening to from when you were a little kid. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's what you've been taught your entire life. You know, as an aside, uh, I do want to say a little bit of something as to what it means to fear God. Because I do think that this is something that maybe is a little bit uh, not understood um, or maybe misunderstood uh, amongst a lot of people. You know, Jerry Bridges says this, you know, the, the fear of God is something that's probably better described than defined uh, because it's so hard to come up with a def definition of exactly what it means to fear God. And so what he says and how he describes somebody who fears God is someone who has a deep hatred for sin, has, some, has a deep hatred for evil, and has this deep reverence for God and who he is. 
that God is a very deep reality to that person. And they live in their lives in view of the fact that God is real and the fact that they revere God. And when you look at the, the Old Testament and you look at examples of people who didn't fear God, uh, you see that that's actually a very good descriptor. Let me just give you one quick example. You know, in the book of Nehemiah, there were these people, there were these Jews who were exploiting other Jews, the poor, and they were charging them uh, exorbitant amounts of interest to the point where some of these people were forced to sell their own sons and daughters into slavery. And Nehemiah confronts them, and he basically says this to them, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? And he's saying this, the way you are acting right now, the evil that you are doing is not consistent with the reality of who God is. It's not consistent with the people who desire to please him, who revere him, who want to be faithful to him. In other words, it's not consistent with one who has a healthy fear of the Lord. In Nehemiah, the person who doesn't fear God is the one who does great evil. And so we go back to what this narrator is saying, and the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and to obey him. And I think what we can say is, that, is this. Basically, that means live your lives in view of the fact that God is a reality, that God's holiness is a reality. Live in view of the fact that God is majestic, that he is king. Live in view of that fact by hating evil, by hating sin, and by revering him. And what that means is live a life obeying him and obeying his commandments. You see, I think we have to retell the narrative of a life of obedience because in our culture, when we think about the word ob ob obedience or obey or submission, we think, ah, that's just restricting my individuality or that's just restricting my personal freedom. But in the Bible's narrative, obedience is the very thing that makes us flourish as the very people God created us to be. Obedience is not simply for God's good, but obedience is also for our good. You know, if you are here last week, uh, I said this, if you really want to be a pers the person that God is calling you to be, and if you really want to flourish as the person that God created you to be, you really have to be all in. Uh, you know, Christianity is not the kind of faith where you can really be half-hearted. Uh, it's not the kind of faith that says, you know, you can just kind of have one foot in and one foot out, that you can seek both God and you can seek money at the same time. But Christianity is a faith where it says you, you have to give your entire heart, all of it, not a part of it. And until you fully submit yourself to the Lord, I do think this that there will always be a part of the Christian faith that you will never really understand on an empirical level. I think it's kind of like friendship. You know, if you've ever made yourself completely vulnerable uh, and given yourself entirely to another person or to a friend, uh, you learn some things about the importance of that relationship, do you not? You learn the importance of or the beauty of trust and you learn how much joy can come out of being in that kind of relationship of trust you learn what it what true freedom it is to to make yourself 
that vulnerable to another person. And I know that's not a perfect analogy because you know, the reality is we can do that to somebody and we can get burned very easily. But you see, we have a God who is not out to burn us. But we have a God who is here to love us. And how do we know that he loves us? How do we know that it's safe, not only safe, but it'll be our full joy to fully surrender and to give our entire selves to him? Well, he gave us the ultimate proof of his love in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we know that God saw us broken. We know that God saw us getting old. We know that God saw that death was an ultimate problem. And we also know that God saw that and he was merciful towards us that he sent his own son to die for us. You see, I think too many times we are preoccupied with the wrong search. We are preoccupied with our own search. We are preoccupied with what we need to find for ourselves and find our fulfillment. But maybe we need to focus on another search, not our search, but God's search. The one where God, he sought and pursued his people, even to the point of death on a cross. And that's why when we sing that great hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It doesn't say, I once was lost, but now I found my way again. Because the gospel just doesn't work like that. The gospel says that we were people who were lost. And God, he is the one who initiated. He is the one who sought us. And he is the one who ultimately found us and gave us life. And I think when we take hold of that search and when that search means something to us, I think full surrender is not going to actually be uh, something that's all that bad. It's not going to be a, a duty that we just have to do, but we don't want to do. But I think it's going to be our great joy, our great privilege, and our great delight. You know, just to wrap up uh, this series in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, you look at the, the preacher's movie. It's a, it's a rather depressing movie, is it not? Old age is depressing. Death is depressing. This train that is moving is depressing. But we also have to know that his movie is not complete. The New Testament gives us a greater narrative, a greater movie, in fact, a bigger movie. And Paul, he describes this world in Romans 8.20 as futility, and it's, it's a frustrating world which is actually the same word that the preacher uses here as vanity. But Jesus came to remove that frustration through his death and through his resurrection. And to go back to that John Mayer song, that great desire of his heart, I know I can't stop this train, won't somebody stop this train? Jesus, he got on that train and he rode it to its final destination, to his own death so that we can actually get off of it and so that we can ride in another direction towards great life. And so friends, realize this. As you're reminded of what the preacher here experiences in this world, because you too will surely experience it as well, remember there's a greater story out there. There's a greater movie out there. 
one that ends on a note, not on, on, in death, but ends in hope and joy and great restoration. Let's bow our heads and perhaps uh, spend some time in personal prayer as we uh, prepare for the Lord's Supper.